Welcome to the Aerospace Engineering Podcast. My name is Reiner Groh, Research Fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering, and on this podcast I have conversations with aerospace pioneers about new technologies at the cutting edge of aerospace design and research. We'll start our episode in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor, the Society for the Advancement of Material and Process Engineering. If you are an engineering business that could benefit from new materials and manufacturing processes, then SAMPI might be the ideal partner for you. SAMPI is the only technical society that provides enhanced educational opportunities, knowledge transfer, and professional engagement in all fields of materials and processes. To find out how SAMPI can provide your business with growth and educational opportunities, visit SAMPI's website at nasampi.org or consider attending one of SAMPI's conferences such as CAMEX the largest and most comprehensive composites and advanced materials event for products, solutions, networking, and advanced industry thinking. This episode is also sponsored by StressEbook.com, which is an online hub for you if you're interested in aerospace stress engineering. StressEbook.com provides world-class engineering services and online courses on the stress analysis of aircraft structures, as well as a free ebook and blog. No matter if you're a junior or senior structural analyst, StressEbook.com provides you with the skills and know-how to become a champion in your workplace. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh... On this episode, I'm speaking with Airbus engineer Oliver Family, who's the overall aircraft design leader of the EFAN-X demonstrator. The EFAN-X is a hybrid electric technology demonstrator being developed by Airbus, Rolls-Royce, and Siemens based on a British Airspace 146 regional airliner. Airbus has a long-standing tradition of working on electric demonstrators ranging from the Cree-Cree and the E-Genius to the E-Star and the E-Fan 1.2. The driver behind the E-Fan project is that current aircraft designs have somewhat converged to an optimum, and with existing technologies, it is difficult to meet the stringent sustainability goals in terms of CO2 emissions and reductions in noise stipulated, for example, by the European Commission. Therefore, new technologies such as electrification are required to achieve these goals. As we have seen on other episodes of the podcast, electrification of aircraft is currently a hot topic, with new startup companies promising to disrupt and revolutionize the regional aircraft market. In this environment, one could easily assume that incumbents like Airbus are being left behind or too slow to react to a changing technology landscape. As you will hear in this episode, nothing could be further from the truth. The EFANX project is structured as a separate entity within Airbus with the explicit mission of questioning dearly cherished assumptions and challenging Airbus's legacy business. As you will hear, the consequences of integrating an electric propulsion system on a regional aircraft run much deeper than mere calculations about battery power density and battery longevity. In fact, it's the second-order effects that we rarely think, hear, and read about, such as thermal management of batteries, the interaction between pilots and new control systems, and the challenges of new certification protocols that are especially challenging. So in this episode, Oliver and I discuss what exactly the EFANX project aims to achieve, what the main challenges are in making a regional hybrid electric aircraft work and economically feasible, 
and how electrification widens the design envelope for engineers and therefore promises to facilitate entirely new aircraft designs. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating conversation as much as I did. So without any further ado, I bring you Oliver Family. So I'm here with Oliver Family. Oliver, welcome to the podcast. Hi. So Oliver, before we delve into the EFANX project, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into aerospace engineering and what you do now? Yeah, sure. So um, I did an aerospace degree in Manchester. Um, I joined Airbus straight out of university here in Bristol on the Airbus graduate scheme. Um, I spent a couple of years on that scheme moving uh, around different parts of the Airbus business uh, internationally. Then I spent uh, a few years uh, in the UK working in the systems department. After that, I moved to uh, France and I worked for a while in the test department uh, then I moved on to the flight physics department, and as of last year, um, I'm working on the EFANX projects. Uh, my role is uh, overall aircraft design leader, which means that I'm responsible for things like aerodynamics, handling qualities, loads, all the flight physics topics that go into our EFANX demonstrator. Right, great. And of course, you're here to talk to me about the EFANX project, mm. and so we'll, we'll delve straight into that. So first of all, what is the EFAN? X project, uh, you know, what are the companies that are involved and what is the ultimate aim? So EFANX is a uh, demonstrator for a hybrid electric propulsion system. Uh, and maybe before we go into the EFANX, we should talk a bit about uh, electrification itself. And electrification of propulsion is really the holy grail of, of aircraft. You have the potential for significantly reduced emissions, both uh, CO2, NOx and other emissions. Uh, significantly reduced noise, uh, reduced fuel burn, obviously, reduced sensitivity to fuel prices for airlines, reduced maintenance. There are lots of benefits of uh, electrification. Now, hybrid electrification is a stepping stone on the process where you're basically taking existing aircraft propulsion systems, so turbofan engines, and supplementing that with electric motors and all the components that you need in order to drive those electric motors. Um, so we recognize there are a few key technologies which you need to understand before you can ever uh, sell a feasible hydroelectric aircraft for passenger use. Uh, so those include the electric motors themselves, uh, storage of energy with batteries, um, the gas turbine and the generator that you require to charge the batteries and to run the electric motor, and then distribution of the electricity with a high voltage distribution system, thermal management and the control systems. Um, so those are the six key technologies you need to master. Now Airbus has, has spent a lot of time uh, on research on electric propulsion over the years with uh, EFAN, EFAN 2.0 and so on, and lots of ground testing to go along with that. We decided it was time to uh, seriously look at putting hydroelectric components uh, on a part 25 CS25 platform um, to really understand the challenges of integrating these type of uh, propulsion systems on a real aircraft. Uh, so our intent is to uh, fly this aircraft as a demonstrator uh, to test all these major technologies, um, to learn by flying because you know, there's a big gap between testing things on the ground, testing things in flight. Um, and we want to do it quickly and in a low-cost way, so we can quickly adapt and quickly modify our systems. 
Um, so the EFAN-X will be a uh, BAE aircraft, an RJ100, which is an existing four-engine aircraft of about 100 seats. We will replace uh, one engine with an equivalent electric motor of about the same power. And we will also install a power generation system inside the aircraft, so a gas turbine, um, a big battery system, and then a thermal management system, high voltage distribution and control system. Right. And so in terms of... Um... You just mentioned that it's a technology demonstrator. Mm. So Airbus is not thinking of replacing all their A320s in the next 10 years with, with an electric aircraft. So this is basically a, a means for you to test all these challenging uh, you know, technologies, well, the, 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 the ability to integrate a lot of these challenging technologies in one piece rather than come up with a new product and then sell that to your customers. Yeah, that's exactly right. The first step is to understand how to put these technologies on an aircraft safely and efficiently. And then after that, understand how you develop an aircraft from those technologies. So it's about demonstrating the technology bricks, not demonstrating a product which you will sell in the in the future. Right. And then in terms of, I mean, we at the moment, there's this kind of buzz around electric aviation that it seems that there are all these little startups all around the world trying to come up with, you know, taxis for, for the air, like the Uber of the skies or something yep. like that. And I'm just wondering, first of all, why now? Is is it just a matter of, okay, we've, we've realized that greenhouse gases are bad and we need to do something <laughs> about them? Or has there been maybe a shift in technology that now makes this possible? What is kind of like the driver behind Airbus's investment in this sector? Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of projects uh, around the world. We, uh, we we counted them. There's more than 100 different projects going on right now in electric aviation, which is, which is crazy, right? Um, so we are in a bit of a moment when it comes to electric aviation, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, on the demand side, you can say, um, we have an increasing climate change challenge. Uh, we all recognize it, and we need to do something about it. And electric aviation is one of the bricks which could help us to, to meet the targets that we need to meet. Um, and as a result of that, you have uh, increasing recognition by governments that they can support industry in developing these type of aircraft. Um, so today there is a, for example, there's a public service obligation in Norway where they fly uh, a bunch of Dash 8s. Uh, they connect 36 airports in Norway. Uh, these aircraft are doing 30-minute uh, flights. They're carrying more than a million passengers per year. And Norway's objective is to fly 100% uh, of these aircraft uh, emissions-free by 2040. Okay. Wow. Uh, which is which is a big deal, and we're starting to see those type of uh, intentions, um, you know, globally. Just this week, uh, Heathrow Airport has announced an innovation prize um, to uh, help support electric aviation at their airports. So people start to recognise from a from a demand side that this is something interesting. Um, and it's not just governments and, and airports. We have airlines as well who also uh, start to become interested in uh, in electric aviation. Um, JetBlue Technology Ventures, part of JetBlue, one of uh, one of a major airline. Uh, they've uh, invested in Zunum, which is one of the, the startups that you mentioned. And uh, a quote from a guy called Bobby Zimi, who's president of this uh, company. Uh, he said that we seek new technologies that look to change the game. And we believe Zunum uh, can reinvent regional travel. So here you have a major airline investing in uh, electric aviation and saying they can believe it can really change uh, the way they operate. Uh, EasyJet, uh, so the British airline, again, a, a major customer. 
I'll also be looking at uh, Ledger Aviation. A quote from Carlin McCall, who's the, their former CEO. Um, uh, I think it's now a more matter of when and not if a short-haul plane will fly. So we have governments, airports, airlines, all uh, starting to seriously say uh, that they're interested in electric aviation. Um, and then on the supply side, well, look at where we are. So we have, we're in a, a period of exponential growth in battery density. Okay, um, People talk a lot about battery density and how it's not there yet for, for serious electric aviation. And they're right. But we're in a period of uh, exponential growth. Okay, So the, the density of the batteries is increasing uh, significantly. And you can see that the influence of that on other sectors, so the uh, car market, right, electric cars, Teslas, and so on, there is still huge growth in the electric car market globally. Again, you have exponential growth of the electric uh, car stock. Um, okay, and it's not just those technologies, it's the source of the electricity as well. You have exponential growth in renewable electricity and a corresponding reduction in the, uh, the cost. The cost of photovoltaic, for example, is just absolutely plummeting. And you have the motor power density, so the motor power density starts to increase. Um, so you have all these things coming together almost at once. Uh, and as I said, you've got more than 100 projects. You have Zunum, Eviation, Ampere, NASA looking at all these things. Um, so yeah, we are in a, a bit of a moment. There is a risk for companies like Airbus, which have a very successful and... and uh, and you know efficient and, and profitable products line that you can be caught out by these type of exponential growth factors so if you look at companies like nokia and blackberry and kodak they were really uh, caught out by technologies which they saw coming but but chose to do nothing about um it's really interesting as a case study if you go back and look at what the blackberry executives were saying at the point where uh, their company was basically failing uh, they considered that having a bigger screen on your phone, well, no one would want it because it's going to drain your battery. And who wants a phone whose battery lasts less than a day? Uh, no one's going to browse the internet because no one wants to pay for unlimited data usage. No one wants a touchscreen keyboard because people enjoy working on a physical keyboard. So we have examples here of, of companies that are kind of in Airbus's position um, were caught out by these type of technologies arriving. So... That is partly the reason that's prompted us to uh, look at eFanX and do a quick demonstrator to understand how to integrate these technologies. Right. And then in terms of the integration, I mean, when I hear hybrid electric aircraft, yeah. I, I kind of go, okay, what, what what does that actually mean? Because I can I can I can understand from my you know undergraduate lectures what a turbofan does. There's yeah. a big fan at the, at the front, yeah. and there's a series of compressor stages, there's a combustion chain in a chamber and a turbine and the turbine drives the compressor and the fan. Mm -hmm. So what is now being, is there something being replaced in this jet engine? Are you replacing the turbine with an electric generator or an electric motor? What, how is this integration happening? What is being replaced? Sure, so what we're doing is replacing one of the engines of the aircraft uh, completely with an electric motor driving a fan. So there's no turbofan installed in that nacelle. And then behind that, there are two technologies, so batteries, so pure batteries, which are driving the, um, the motor electrically, and uh, as part of that, as part of the hybrid system, a gas turbine, but separate from the fan, so installed in another part of the aircraft. And this is a hybrid system, right? So you can either use the, the batteries as a pure electric mode, or use the gas turbine to generate electricity to drive the fan through the motor. Um, and our architecture allows us to test all the various combinations of that. So we can either run the, the, fa the fan purely electrically, using the batteries. We can run it just from the gas turbine, 
Um, we can run it from both. We could use the gas turbine to charge the batteries. We can do kind of any combination of that. Um, and one of the nice things about these type of technologies is that it really opens the design space of aircraft, right? So if you look at aircraft over the years, uh, aircraft have basically converged into one type, a twin engine aircraft uh, with significant use of composites, with advanced aerodynamics, um, that's it, and advanced turbofans. And everything is kind of converging. Now, electric aviation allows you to... Uh, to expand that design space because you could put the motor in different places. Um, you can have a parallel architecture where you keep the existing turbofan, which we all know, and add a small electric motor on there to provide a boost of power, a takeoff at the top of descent, uh, uh, top of climb, sorry, and help for, uh, for a lower idle and descent. You can do all that type of things. You can do things like boundary layer ingestion. You can do distributed proportion. You can do all sorts of things. Um, and again, you really need to test the technology and prove the technology works before you then start to think about how you implement it seriously on a product. Right. And then so you just mentioned that there are a lot of different design variables that come together. So the design space is broadened by yes. having a, a broader possibility of things that you can do on, on the system. And then does that mean that now the optimization problem of in terms of what is your optimal configuration basically starts afresh? Because I think we, we've had a period of, let's say, you know, 80 years where the aircraft industry has gone, you know, learned from failures and there's been a natural evolution towards what you just said is kind of like a converged design. So one of the challenges that I see is, okay, do you want to replicate that, have another 50 years of evolution? Or is there this challenge where you have to go, okay, in 10 years time or in 20 years time, we need to have a working aircraft and then you, you you kind of have this pressure on you that you have to find the optimum right now basically uh it is true that you need to not make the wrong design decisions and you have lots of design choices you can take right uh and and that's why we do the e x we're not we're not trying to particularly develop better motors uh better batteries the technology is what the technology is today what we're trying to do from Airbus's point of view is understand that integration and, and learn those things on a demonstrator before we have to make the difficult uh, design decisions on a on a, an aircraft. Um, and it, it's not the the classical problems which you could imagine as the type of things you need to understand, right? Um, thermal management is a good one. So one of the big benefits of uh, batteries and a motor is that it's more efficient than an equivalent turbofan, right? terms of how much energy you're putting in compared to how much thrust you're getting out which is great um, except on a classical turbo fan all the waste heat and noise is going out the back and you're, you're putting it to good use now imagine we have a, a hydroelectric or full electric system uh, installed inside the aircraft here you're talking about hundreds of kilowatts of heat you have to, to dissipate or you have to deal with somehow uh, so to put that into context, if you imagine each passenger is generating uh, 100 watts of heat, right? It's like a, a kind of normal incandescent light bulb. Then if you're trying to get rid of 100 kilowatts of heat, it's 1,000 passengers. And that amount of heat, uh, trying to manage that amount of heat on a small aircraft is a, is a big deal. Um, so we need to understand how to install heat exchangers, how to optimize them, how to optimize the cooling system behind it. Um, and what's interesting is that nothing is really new. So these type of big heat exchangers uh, existed on old piston engine aircraft when they had to do a lot of oil cooling. So you'll see big old DC-6 engines with big heat exchangers everywhere. 
And then as, as turbofans came along, then they didn't need these type of heat exchanges and the research really stopped. And now we're going back potentially to a situation where we need to look at that again. And uh, again, it shows the benefits of flying because it's, it's very easy to kind of theoretically say, well, I need to do thermal management, I'll install fans, I'll install extraction systems, I'll install liquid cooling or whatever, fine. It's very easy to, to say that in a uh, technical report, but then to actually develop it, put it on an aircraft in a safe way where you can fly uh, is challenging. It's, it's one of the things that we need to learn. So those type of non-classical things are, are what we worry about on, uh, on EFANX. Um, things like thrust control, right? Um, today, when the pilot pushes the thrust lever forward, uh, it sends a signal to a computer, the FADEC, and you control either the N1, the fan speed, or the thrust, or whatever. So when, when she moves the thrust lever forward, you get an amount of thrust, which is simple, and it's taken a long time to develop those type of computers, understand all the different philosophies behind it. Great. Uh, now you have a battery, potentially, and a gas turbine in the loop. So how does it work? What does the control architecture look like? How does it blend the batteries and the gas turbine? What are you actually controlling? Are you controlling the, the fan speed? Are you controlling the torque of the motor? Uh, what's the human-machine interface, right? So airlines are not going to accept uh, an aircraft with a significantly mo more complicated flight deck. So you need to understand how you're putting a potentially more complex uh, propulsion system in a flight deck in a way which is appropriate for, for a flight crew. Right. So it sounds like a lot of the actual the, the challenges that you're facing are necessarily fundamental problems. They are actually the, the, the difficult problems of complexity of taking different technologies and, and, and putting them together, which in a, in a lot of times when we hear new startups, those aren't the sexy problems, right? Those aren't the problems where people, they rally around, go, oh yeah, we're gonna make, you know, uh, battery power, I don't know, a hundred times more efficient, or like, we're gonna put up, we're gonna double the amount of energy density in, in a battery. So it's, it sounds to me like those kind of integration problems, the problems of complexity, are the ones that, that, that you're facing. And for example, one of the ones that I'm really, uh, that I'm, I'm baffled by is that, that currently, we've got aircraft, you know, and a lot of the fuel tanks are in the wings, um, and there is there's fuel in there, and then a lot of the fuel gets you know it gets blown out the back of the engines, and now the aircraft is lighter. So my my first question is okay, where do all these batteries go? Because they're big and bulky, do they still go in the wings? And then uh, does the aircraft, the design of the aircraft, change entirely because you no longer have a weight differential between takeoff and landing? Yeah. How, how does that play around? There seems to be a lot of second order effects happening, basically. So those are the right questions to ask, right? <laughs> um, where the batteries go is, uh, is a good question. Um, you could put them in the wings, uh, provides wing bending relief. Um, it's a bit isolated from the cabin. Uh, why not? You could put it in the wings. Uh, some people are looking at doing that. Uh, that is a solution. Um, in terms of weights, uh, you're right. So uh, the classical drag polar that everyone knows, the drag changes a function of your lift coefficients. So as you're flying along and you're burning uh, fuel, your weight is getting less. And so uh, and so the drag is changing as a function of that. And you have various optimum altitudes and so on. And now you could be in a situation, if you have an all-electric aircraft, where the weight is basically constant throughout the flight. Um, so with a classically designed aircraft, you have one optimum altitude you need to uh, fly at. So now you have every uh, airline in Europe flying these wonderful new electric aircraft that all want to fly at one altitude. And if they fly away from that altitude, then it's detrimental to, that, to their performance. Now imagine the, the, the constraints and the challenges for air traffic control if we're in that situation. 
Uh, and again, it's one of the things, you, 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 as you said, is a second secondary thing, but it's not second order, right? It could really impact your your uh, your calculations of the the business case of these type of aircraft. If actually you end up flying at a non-optimum altitude, it could really erode the benefits that uh, that you think you're going to get from having an electric uh, aircraft. Right. And so, I mean, so you just mentioned airlines. So how will airlines have to adapt if we go, let's say we go to in the regional market, we've, we've just got electric aircraft. I mean, what, what are the things that you envision will, will change for, for airlines? So one of the big benefits of uh, electric aviation, which I don't think we've mentioned yet, is the maintenance. Right. So uh, if you look at electric motors, they're super simple and and they're used today at these type of power classes on ships and in other industries, trains, for example. And the maintenance is much, much less than an equivalent to gas turbine. Uh, and it's huge. And that could be really revolutionary to, to airlines, where even with today's very reliable aircraft, maintenance is a big proportion of their, uh, their overall costs. <clears throat> you know, we presented uh, EFANX at uh, uh, Airbus's fuel efficiency seminar, which we hold often with the airlines. And we were discussing with it, with with some of them afterwards. One of the interesting things they said is, um, "Don't don't constrain yourself too much by what you think our operations should be." Uh, they mentioned the A three twenty Neo. They mentioned the A three fifty. They said uh, the fuel burn uh, effect of these aircraft is so incredible for us that we don't mind uh, operational constraints that, that come with it. They mind, but they're willing to accept these type of operational constraints when the fuel efficiencies are there. So imagine we have electric aircraft in the future where you have to change batteries or charge batteries and the turnaround time is longer, or the aircraft is a bit smaller or has, has reduced range or something. Their message was, uh, we would accept these type of restrictions if, on top of that, you were giving us an aircraft that was significantly cheaper to operate, that had much fewer emissions, that had less noise. I mean, imagine if you had a, an aircraft that generated significantly less noise uh, at takeoff. Uh, imagine the opportunities that would open up to airlines at noise-restricted airports like Heathrow, for example. I mean, it's incredible. Right. I guess you could perhaps then fly 24 hours a day. Yeah, you could do you could do things like that. So if the aircraft is a bit smaller or has less range or has a longer turnaround time, that's more than offset by being able to fly from an airport like Heathrow at different times of the day and have a much lower impact on the, the noise for the neighbours near Heathrow. Right. So I guess the other elephant in the room is perhaps, you know, certification. The, the, the aerospace industry is very, is, you know, is, is well known for being very safe. But part, part of the reason is, is that we have a very stringent means of certifying and testing our aircraft before they're allowed to fly. So how is this going to play out? Is this, you know, what, are, what is the time frame that we're looking at? Is it a 10-year time frame, a 20-year time frame? How long will it take to certify an entirely new hybrid electric aircraft? I know that the EFANX isn't a product in itself, but if you, if you had a product, you know, ready today, how long would it take to certify something like that? So it's difficult to give time frames on when the product's going to be available. But in terms of certification, uh, one of the big uh, opportunities or one of the reasons we're doing EFANX is to understand the certification challenges. Um, the certification rules are written for basically gas turbine aircraft. And now we have an aircraft which is, which is, not, uh, which is not using a traditional turbofan. Um, and it's one of the reasons we want to do it on a, on, on this uh, 100-seater aircraft. 
Um, it's 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 not easy, but it's easier to put these type of systems on small aircraft, on commuter aircraft, on light aircraft, um, because these are not designed to CS25, FAR25, JAR25 uh, requirements. Now we're putting these type of uh, equipment on a part 25 worlds, CS25 world, and we need to understand the gaps on the current certification standards, um, where there aren't any rules, and work with the ASA and, and, and FA and everyone else to understand how we could adapt these rules, how we could comply with the existing rules with a completely different proportion system. Um, honestly, it's one of the key uh, challenges, certification. Uh, you can easily put something on an aircraft and fly it, but to actually take that step from having uh, something which flies to something which is certifiable and where you're happy to put passengers on it is a huge step. Uh, and it's why we want to fly it. If you, you can test things on the ground, but taking it to flight enables you to understand those challenges. Right. And then so in terms of going back to kind of like the, the challenge of, of technology integration, how does how does kind of, you know, the, the day to day look like? In, in, in of this project so are you you said you're focusing on flying you want to fly things mm -hmm. as quickly and as often as possible yep. so does that mean you have engineers working that are coming up with potential solutions to integrate all these these systems and you're putting it on the aircraft as quickly as possible and then you, you're, you're flying straight away or or how, how does that planning look like uh, yeah, we're working in a very agile way. So you're right, we want to, to quickly develop uh, the technology and get it on the aircraft as quickly as possible. Um, Airbus has engineers split globally working on this. The main sites are in uh, Toulouse, which is where I'm based, which is the, the core team of the aircraft. Um, we have a big facility in Otterbrunn near Munich, uh, south of Munich. And these guys are really developing the, the details of the system, which are going to go on uh, uh, the aircraft. And in Autobrun as well, we have a, a test facility, which is in the process of being built, where the full system we're going to install on the aircraft is going to be uh, tested on the ground first. And this is good because it allows us to iterate very quickly on the ground. And we envisage using this test facility whilst the aircraft is flying to quickly update things uh, uh, there before we put it uh, on the aircraft. Um, here in Bristol, we have uh, a team working on it as well. We work with our partners at BA Systems in uh, Prestwick. They're providing support uh, for the aircraft that we're modifying. All right. And then in terms of um, the, the the project developing in the future, so what is what is the? I know you said it's difficult to to, to say what the timeframes are, but how do you see the the project developing? And what what are the the main like takeaways that you want? from the project to then to be able to say, okay, look, now we're going to, you know, start a project where we actually develop a product. So you can't say, and the entire reason for flying is to learn those unknown unknowns, right? Uh, on every, I mean, I've worked in the test department at Airbus and on every aircraft we've flown, uh, you discover things in flight tests that you weren't expecting. And it'll be doubly the case here, right? So this, this technology has never flown before. So we simply don't know what's the particular challenges. I mean, if it comes to reliability, for example, um, it's difficult to say which equipment you then have to focus your energy on to make it reliable, to maybe install it in a certain place, to give easy access and so on. Like you just don't know today. We're starting, and the industry globally is starting from a very, uh, very low place in terms of fundamental understanding of hybrid electric technology. So we just need to develop it and get it flying. And from that, automatically, we will learn a huge amount. Right. Okay, well, I'm really looking forward to seeing the project develop. Yeah. And uh, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you, Oliver. You're welcome. Thanks.
If you would like to learn more about the eFanX, then head over to aerospaceengineeringblog.com forward slash podcast, where you will find show notes about everything we discussed in today's episode. And if you enjoy the Aerospace Engineering Podcast, then there are a number of ways you can support it. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're tuning in. You can share it on social media with your friends and family. Or you can support the podcast directly on Patreon, where patrons receive exclusive behind-the-scenes content and special episodes. And with that, thank you very much for listening, and talk to you next time.